If you've ever wondered how a PhD biochemist would break down nutrition and training, then this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show is for you. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, where each week you will hear the real world experiences, life lessons, and guided principles that every highly driven man needs to master their health, productivity, and relationships by sharing conversations with the world's most successful people in fitness, nutrition, supplementation, and mindset. Meet your host, Benjamin Brown. He is a fitness and nutrition expert, consultant to Fortune 500 companies and world championship sports teams, a husband and father of three, and has been helping men transform their physiques, optimize their energy, and own their fatherly mission since 2005. Thank you for joining us today, and without further ado, let's jump right in. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 52 of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. In today's episode, we have guest Trevor Cashy. Dr. Cashy is a PhD biochemist who began his scientific career in high school, where he dedicated his time to studying small lung cell cancer research at the Translational Genomics Research Institute here in Phoenix, Arizona. On top of regularly reviewing and publishing late content, he contributes critical analysis of technical research data as a research reviewer for public and private institutions. Further, he's also a regular guest lecturer at local colleges and business seminars and is dedicated to the education and outreach in the field of sports nutrition and dietary supplements. Trevor utilizes body composition improvements as a fulcrum for long-standing performance enhancement, and he's worked with world's strongest man competitors, 150-mile ultramarathon runners, and everything in between. As you'll see, Trevor's a pretty smart dude, um, and as you'll hear in the show, he blends anecdotal, academic, and clinical data, harmonizing it into practical dietary information for all of us to better understand. Not only is it important to be bigger, stronger, and faster, but it is paramount to be healthier, to succeed in the long term. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and I'll catch you on the inside. Dr. Trevor Cashy, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. How you doing, brother? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Heck yeah, brother. Great having you on. I'm super excited to have a conversation with you. You are a, what, PhD biochemist, a PhD in metabolism? What? So that's, that's actually kind of, that's kind of one of the same, depending on who you ask. But I think the, the formal <laughs> title is biochemistry, yes. So I, I focused a lot on, a, on energy metabolism, really on the electron side, which is, which is more nerd stuff than anything. But I, I did focus on metabolic biochemistry for my doctorate. And I worked on similar projects in undergraduate as well, where my undergraduate is also in biochemistry. Um, after the biochemistry work was completed, uh, for my doctorate, I actually did a, a full course load for, uh, what's it called, clinical nutrition as well. So I have that formal background. Nice. So what got you into, like, what sparked the interest in biochemistry, metabolism, clinical nutrition, and now, you know, the fact that you're working with clients, how did that all progress? So I'll, I'll be completely honest. It all started when I was like a little dude. Um, like, lots of little boys and girls, boys in particular, love X-Men, right? Yeah. And everybody wants to be a superhero, right? Right. And as a little kid, like six, seven, eight, I'm like, how did they inject that metal into a skeleton? <laughs> right? I was, I was the little kid who wanted to make X-Men, you know? Yeah. And that's actually kind of what started. Um, and then a few years later, I might have been in the first grade. The Human Genome Project is going and it's bumping. Of course, I have no idea. 
um, my first grade teacher at the time wrote out deoxyribonucleic acid on the board and I said it for a week and annoyed the crap out of my mom and uh, learned about uh, Andy, which is the one of the first transgenic like mammals where they injected jellyfish DNA into his genome and then he like glows in a fluorescent light and I learned about uh, genetic engineering and that got me started like well before I was 10 um, obsessing about all this other stuff and really uh, the early part of my formative years uh, to be diplomatic I would say that my father came back into my life and we didn't have a whole lot in common um, because he kind of like beat people up that were like me when he was in high school sort of a thing sure. and <laughs> so we didn't have very much in common on a base level. We started lifting weights together and it took like a very short period of time for me to make the connection between biochemistry, physiology, pharmacology, nutrition, and lifting weights. And that kind of, kind of just put me on a trajectory towards where I am now, which is effectively making X-Men, which is pretty freaking cool. That is pretty cool. And you know, what is it about, uh, you know, actually working with people that you enjoy the most just yeah. versus being in a, in a lab, in a clinic, obviously you have all you of this. What? I got you, man. I, yeah. I'm, I'm filling in those blanks for you. So <laughs> the first couple of years I did consulting data only, every person was a number. Yeah. No yes. matter what. And I'll tell you what, it worked pretty damn well. And it still does work pretty damn well. Um, but it, in that, in that regard, it wasn't that satisfying for me um, beyond the realm of science. Because if you're a practicing scientist or have been, uh, you're kind of well aware of the fact that you spend all day in a laboratory and you might do 38 versions of the same experiment and it never effing works. And then you do one experiment and it kind of works and it supposedly makes up for the last six months of you banging your face against the mm -hmm. table. And that was kind of what it was like working with people in the context of, um, here's the data that is presented, the, the data was analyzed, here's the path that I suggest a person takes based off of the data that is submitted, and lo and behold, the data starts trending in a way that is projected. And it's just like, nothing ever works, this is amazing, right? Yeah. And that was cool for me uh, from like a data science standpoint, it scratched that itch. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Florida where I started working with people a little bit more in person. I'm not in Florida anymore. I'm in Ohio. Um, but I worked at a, in a company that was adjacent to a performance facility. And I got access, I got access to people one-on-one. -on -one, and it was an amazing change for me because I realized firsthand that, yeah, I just gave them directions in the form of numbers and some logistical things with day-to-day. -day, but I realized, holy crap, I'm controlling these people's lives. Like that's really what's happening. And it didn't really stick with me until I saw it firsthand, you know, when it was actually with a little boy. A little boy came into the office with his mom. Mom talked to me about general stuff. Basically the kid had boo-boo belly. I'll just leave it at that. It was pretty severe in a clinical way, but that's another there. And uh, a couple weeks later came back and uh, tearing up a little bit. The kid gave me a hug and he said, his tummy didn't hurt anymore. And like, yeah. my life was changed like kids in particular, uh, helping parents out, like that experience was uh, obviously life-changing for me. And so now I have a, uh, a better working understanding of, you know, data in, data out is important. And it ultimately is what drives results for from like a psychological health standpoint for myself and longevity in this field and people that I work with one-on-one, -on -one, I can now appreciate those sorts of circumstances better. 
Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. So how did you start to wrap your head around the behavioral and psychological perspective, moving away from, you know, like you said, the data? I mean, I'm assuming you were looking at calories in, calories out, and weighing and measuring and resting metabolic rate maybe. And then what was the shift in thinking to that really doesn't matter as much. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it really matters. But but into how do we start to implement more behavior change? What made you come to that realization? And how did you start to implement it or learn more about it? So it all happened with me on accident. Because um, I'm, I'm a scientist by trade. I'm a biochemist. I make the joke, I'm not a nutrition person at all. I am a biochemist that knows how to count calories. Okay. And there's like, I am very upfront about that distinction. I'm very much a bottom up person, not a top down. I don't think in terms of foods, I think in terms of molecules. So when I'm trying to get accurate data for things like this, or as accurate as I thought it would be, um, I take more of a scientific approach to this, not a calculated approach. And to me, the calculated approach using formulas, in my opinion, is really the difference between science and engineering, right? I'm not an engineer. Mm -hmm. if, so to me, a, a scientist will ask a question, run an experiment, and then what the data provides is you more questions, which is super annoying. Right. Um, but engineering <laughs> is kind of the opposite, where an engineer is like, okay, the scientist came up with this question, here's how I solve the problem. Right. And in my mind, engineers solve problems and scientists cause problems. And I'm definitely a problem causer, not a problem solver. <laughs> okay. And when I was trying to figure out how to work this way, uh, immediately, right off the bat, um, I, I completely threw anything related to formulas out the window. Um, I knew calories were important insofar as there needed to be a measuring stick for intake and output. Mm -hmm. But even if it was called frog skins, I wouldn't care. It's really just a relative measure. Yeah. The exactness of a calorie doesn't matter. Yes, it raises the temperature of water, blah, blah, blah. But, it, but like, in all practical considerations, that doesn't matter. It could be blocks, you know, like the zone diet or whatever yeah. the case be. Okay. And just some measurement of intake. That's all that matters. I like to use the term calorie. Some people like to use other words, whatever. Um, see where I was going with this here. Uh, I didn't really give a damn about calculations because the irony of that is if you look at the realm of statistics and you see these formulas are based off of an average, right? Uh, but the irony here is that, to me, technically speaking, it is a statistically impossible chance you will ever find an average person. Like, you know, because it is the sure. combination of a gajillion unique people. And just by default, I have a problem using averages because the average person does not exist. Unless you watch the movie Idiocracy, and in that case, it makes sense. Um, but because of that... To me, it's like a cute tool. We're like, okay, I can run your stuff through a calculator and sometimes it matches, woohoo, and sometimes it doesn't. Of course it doesn't because nothing ever matches. So I went, shoot, how do I solve this problem? And I went, you know what? I'm, I already know I'm not going to do the calculation thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to put it on them. I'm not going to guesstimate what you should eat. Why don't you just measure what you're already eating and then tell me in a week? And of Basically, food diaries were kept. A lot of that stuff came okay. from my clinical nutrition background. I just kind of implemented a little more accuracy because, well, I'm a scientist and not a clinician, and I care more. Like, basically, I say be as exact as humanly possible, which means that humans are not robots, but they're pretty dang close. So, really, the more accurate you are with your measurements, the more accurate I can be with my analysis and decision making. So, 
I learned very quickly on accident that the self-awareness factor associated with recording your intake kind of puts a little something-something over a person's shoulder. And I realized, holy crap, the data for every single one of these people that I've ever worked with is skewed. Obviously, people are not eating normally, right? Just because the boogeyman is watching, they stiffen their necks, which is okay too. Um, Ideally, I would like to see exactly what they're consuming, but the practical aspect of that is nil. But what you can do is look at the trending and other behaviors and other things I have people measure to kind of back calculate what has been going on during the measuring process for them. And that is really, I think that might answer your question as far as like, I don't even remember the original question. No, it totally, it moves us <laughs> in the right direction in that uh, the, the measurement per se or the, the calculating isn't relevant. It's more about behavioral change. And, and one of the yeah. major steps in, in behavioral change is creating awareness for people. Yes. And so yep. you acknowledge that just having people write down the foods that they're eating is a huge step in creating one accountability, but two more awareness about what they're eating, which can then identify, all right, well, I didn't realize I was doing yeah. eating you know, half of my daily calories between 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. every right. single night. Correct. And, and so what additional measurements do you continue to utilize in your practice that mm. provides, a, you know, uh, measures of, of awareness or value that uh, is beneficial for people? I'll, I'll definitely attack that in a second because that, that's something that does vary from person to person. Um, But what you do find out also when people start to become aware of what they consume is that people are also aware that what they consume day to day varies. And everybody invariably says, well, yesterday was strange. Well, every day is strange. That's the Mm -hmm. entire point. And variability day to day is not necessarily bad because yes, things do come out in the wash. Does it come out in the wash in a way that can be calculated by humans right now? Not really in a practical way. But the point is that it establishes one, I was not eating the way I thought I was eating. And two, my intake and behavior on a day-to-day basis varies greatly. And those two things set a person up for success immediately because everybody pounds on consistency, but doesn't really know what that means. Mm-hmm. And, and you can say like, hey, you can talk to a crowd of a thousand people and say, hey, you want to be consistent? They'll say yes. But if you ask a thousand people what that means, you're probably going to get a few different answers. And so by having a person go through this diagnostic process, they figure out what consistency means to them. I don't want to tell them what I think consistency is because that's kind of like anybody will perform with a gun to their head. Uh, If you say, the royal you say that, all right, I see how variable I am day to day. People will intuit that I should probably keep things pretty even. Mm -hmm. And that alone is also another factor in getting really very good results early on is establishing what a person thinks is consistent for them uh, versus me trying to establish that for them, unless it was something that was explicitly stated. Now, because that's, that's to me in terms of this is another measurement. It's really not that I'm taking more than one measurement, but how can we analyze this data in different ways to get more bang for our buck? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's really important to me. And the second number that I think is supremely important is how much you weigh and uh, specifically on a daily basis. And this is something where you see bombs and fireworks and slingshots, <laughs> whatever other crude weaponry used to throw rocks at the scale. Yeah. And you know, one to one crowd, the scale is just a number, don't worry about it. To another crowd, throw it in the garbage. And I'm saying neither of those things are true. Um, to me, 
I don't use the scale in terms of body composition at all on a day-to-day -day basis. It will give you important trending over long periods of time, weeks, months, years. Um, but day-to-day, -day, I kind of take it as an opportunity to have a person auto-regulate their own behavior um, in the context of, well, if the scale is up and down, then you are probably up and down. And the change in weight from day to day is not in practical terms, not really fat or muscle mass. It's other fluids. Okay. And if you have a huge spike in weight one day and a huge dip the next, and like, even if your calories are the same, it will tell you, you know what, what the heck am I doing? That's causing my weight to fluctuate so much because once you establish that, Really, the scale is a measure of your behavior and or your body's response to stress, which is kind of one and the same in most circumstances. Then you can take a look back and establish what's going on in your life on a day to day basis, not to make the scale go up or down, but to make the scale stay the same. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that is my goal is for these numbers to stay the same day to day and that the trending to be slow enough to really be out of the measuring capacity of whatever device you are using. So that, yeah. yes, over a period of weeks and months and years, the trending does make sense. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not going to be in, it's going to be within the error margin of the machine you are using. Between Monday and Sunday, the differences in your weight may be a fraction of a pound. But between that Sunday and the next Sunday, the difference is going to be a fraction of a pound again. And mm -hmm. those compound. And by virtue of trying to keep your intake and your weight stable from day to day, you then establish consistency based off of feedback you get from the data that you're accumulating on yourself. Does yeah. that make sense? It does, it does make sense. It makes perfect sense. And so I guess the hardest part is likely getting someone to understand why the number is just a number and it's not directly, you know, reflective of being good or bad or, you know, right. following the diet or it can be stress related. It can be sleep related. It can be hormone related. It can yeah. be, you know, from, from various different foods. And so the way you're using it again is just another tool to help create more awareness. Yes, absolutely. And the first thing I say is that it isn't just a number. Like, is your bank account just a number? You know, is the speed limit just a number? Not really. It's, it's just a number if you want it to be. And if you have the right tools to analyze this data, then it is way more than just a number. Okay. So to be fair, I try not to get people to understand anything. It's more like here is the opportunity to get some information and I want to see how you interpret it on your own. And if you set up a system to which people will accumulate this data, Many times people will fill in these gaps on their own. Mm -hmm. you know what? I've eaten the same calories every day, but my weight went up four pounds. I wonder if it's because I ate popcorn yesterday. Hmm. And then you have what I would call these engineered aha moments where I'm not trying to teach people. Right. People are getting taught all the time. There is no lack of education in any of this. So I don't presume to fill that gap. Right. Their people have intentions on what they want to do, and there's an, an intervention on how to get there. And my job is to close that gap between your intentions and the intervention mm -hmm. by basically giving you the tools to figure it out on your own. Yep. So I more act like bumpers in a bowling alley than I do like laser guided missile system for the bowling ball, right? Yeah. I kind of like, here are the boundaries, wander within them. And if you can act as normal as possible within your own environment, you're going to be able to determine 
what you are doing from a behavior standpoint that's causing these fluctuations rather than having a panic attack that there's a fluctuation because you're not following some freakishly exact plan that's not realistic in the long term anyway. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And so what are, what are some of the ahas that people experience uh, as it relates to you know, body composition as they're going through your programs? I mean, is the intention of a lot of the clients to quote unquote, lose weight? Or do a lot of people enter working with you from a, a standpoint of I just want to have a healthier relationship with food, with my body, with my confidence levels? And what do you experience? So to, be, to be totally transparent, I am not really a stickler in terms of what people's goals are when they start out. Because a lot of times people have issues putting their feelings to words. And there are things that are considered taboo or embarrassing to discuss. And so people will come up with some alternative that is socially acceptable to communicate their goals to hopefully give them the feeling that they want. Yeah. Right. And 9.5 times out of 10, people are looking for a feeling. They're not looking for a number. And therefore, they associate the feeling with a number. So if I hit this number, I will feel this way. Mm-hmm. So... Again, nine times out of 10, people come in wanting one thing, and then as the aha moments progress, their priorities will change. And I do not force that at all. It's just something that I have seen over and over. Everybody wants to look like sex on a plate, so I'm not even gonna ask that question. There's just, like, everybody wants to look good. So if you, like, congratulations. Everybody wants to be healthy, congratulations. If you ask a thousand people what healthy means, you'll get a thousand different answers. So these are all cute ways to kind of communicate feelings people have that may otherwise be a little bit embarrassing or they may lack the language to communicate anyway, right? A person may be obsessed with athletics, you know, because they have a bucket list or whatever. And then you dig deep enough and find that their father died of a heart attack when he was nine and he's deathly afraid. Right. And that's not something you really want to communicate to a person who you think is just going to tell you how much rice to eat, right? And so I'm very sensitive in regard of why people start to work with me because it's just not what people end up thinking it's going to be as the time goes by, you know? Mm -hmm. Is that so like, yeah, there's a lot of weight loss. There's a lot of muscle gain. There's a lot of, I want to be healthy. um, But you spend enough time with a person and the, the real reasons end up coming out. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was what I was alluding to is that I, I imagine on the surface level is a, it's a lot of weight loss, look good naked, you know, things like that. But then as the program progresses and I, and I hear this a lot in talking with professionals that are doing great things in the industry is that is, is more often than not at some point it becomes less about the weight and more about the feeling and the confidence and the, and the underlying things and more about the why as to you know why they're really there working with you and then the weight loss is just a, a convenient and and nice little perk as part it's a of side the effect yeah. yeah yeah absolutely um you know i've heard you talk before about the importance of sequential thinking in relation to creating long-term change in relation to, uh, you know, implementing these nutrition programs and, and kind of more about how to focus on one thing and, and determine what that one thing is. Could you speak maybe a little more specifically about that idea? You know, I cannot, uh, to be totally frank. Um, I'd only say that because it's very contextually relevant depending on okay. the person. Um, because, 
Like, if, I don't know if you're familiar with the geography of Arizona, um, but I went on a date with a girl one time uh, where I lived in Tempe and she lived in Phoenix and they're adjacent cities. Mm-hmm. And that I drove around Phoenix all day and I can't find Tempe, you know? So like, right, like all the steps are there except for one kind of a thing, or maybe a few things were missing up above. I don't know. Um, but really it's what is the one thing is kind of like, you want to know how something works in a car, you break it and see what happens. You learn how the steering wheel works really, really quick. If you're driving and the steering wheel disappears. So in terms of like figuring out what to focus on in sequential thinking, I think arbitrarily, I would say awareness, but then that opens up this whole can of worms of like, okay, what does awareness mean? Um, So in terms of behavior, really it's awareness of myself and my thoughts and what I do about the thoughts I have in terms of the behaviors that come from them. So really, if you are doing something that you know is going against the goals you have, then you have to sit back and have the conversation with yourself to say, okay, self, I have this thought and I have a feeling about this thought and this feeling is going to drive a behavior, right? So you have basically a split second between I have this feeling positive or negative. It is driving me to a behavior positive or negative. And what is causing this to go left or right, up or down? And to me, when I say sequential thinking, I quite literally mean thinking in sequence. As in, what the heck are you actually thinking? What is the flow of thoughts going through your head because you know what to do. You do not need a professional to help you. You really don't. But for whatever reason, you are not doing it. Yes. And that is what really I mean by sequential thinking and from the nitty gritty sense is you start with a thought and you end with an action. What the hell happens in between? That's what you got to figure out. It is. And it's hard to figure out for a lot of people because we get distracted by shiny yes. objects. So how do you help people navigate and focus on one main driver, like the biggest needle mover? And maybe it's not the biggest needle mover, but it's something that's going to drive the needle faster uh, and more effectively long-term than just changing, you know, just eliminating the creamer from their coffee or switching to organic food or whatever. Cool. I got you. So to that end, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of autonomy, right? I know that, hey, I'm fancy. I got papers and clients and all sorts of other things do what I say. I'm definitely not in that vein at all. Uh, what I really like to do is, like I said, engineer an environment where people will figure this out. Because really, like I said, it's a personal thing. I can't, I can't claim to customize something for you. I don't know who the hell you are, right? So, yeah, totally. We gotta, we gotta go on a few dates. Mm-hmm. And really, that's where the feedback comes in from the coaching process. So I have no idea what the best needle mover is. And honestly, I'm not going to tell you. But what I will do is help engineer a learning environment for you to do the aha moment yourself. So that might be in terms of leading questions. It might be in terms of just getting on the phone. It, you know, basically it's, th- there's always an elephant in the room and people always know what that elephant is. And if you point out the elephant in the room, they're just gonna try and paint it a different color. So to me, it's really like the, the needle, the, what'd you say? What's gonna have the needle move the quickest, something of that nature? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, to, to focus yeah. on the thing that right. potentially going to move the needle the fastest. Right. Yes. I need to find out what's going to have me focus on the questions the best to get this needle moving faster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So that, that quite literally comes from the feedback process. And like I said, I cannot customize anything for you until we develop a relationship. And I know who you are and you know who I am. And you're comfortable enough with me to share the things that are going on with your life to help me justify helping you implement changes in behavior that are not automatic. Mm -hmm. Because there are some, everybody's got ugly demons. And these are things that are holding people back from getting to where they want to be. And I'm not going to be a person to kick that door in and say, ha ha, I found your dirty secret. Obviously, not everyone has dirty secrets. I use that term loosely. But basically, there's... There's a monster under everybody's bed that's keeping them from getting where they want to be. And really addressing whatever that is, is going to help your needle move the fastest. And that's why to me, focusing on the coffee creamers and meal timing and calorie counting, like all that is cute. But if that monster under your bed comes out every time the light goes out, whatever this intervention you implement, it's going to stay an intervention rather than a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So the goal for me is, okay, the thing that's going to make the needle move the fastest is what is keeping you from reaching your goals in the long term? And then how do I put you in a position so you don't need me anymore? Yeah. And I try and put myself out of a job. Yeah. And to me, that is what moves the needle the fastest. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So you help people identify their limiting factors or the things that maybe are continually getting in the way of them. Yeah. And it could be something social. It could be related to anxiety. It could be related to goals that really just aren't physiologically possible. It could, you know, so a lot of it is expectations management in that regard. So, okay, what do you want to accomplish? Is that feasible? Do you have a timeline? Does that timeline make sense? So basically a lot of like leading questions to basically say, okay, I realized I did want to lose 60 pounds in three months. And now that you say it, I think that's kind of silly. I'm like, okay, so your limiting factor is really getting frustrated that you're not making changes at a rate that's impossible anyway. Yes. Awesome. Now, what do you propose as a way to have this make sense for you in the longer term? And when you approach a conversation like that from like a, you know, a, a practitioner, a practitioner, client, practitioner, member, whatever you want to say from that perspective, people become involved in the process of generating their own plans. And from an autonomy standpoint, I think that's extremely effective because people need to be involved in these decisions. I don't want to control a person's life. People yeah. need to be controlling their, of their own lives. And hopefully I can provide some options for people along the way that maybe they have not considered before. Hey brother, are you struggling to find the energy to function at your best as a businessman, father and husband? I want you to know you're not alone. And sadly, the conventional wisdom these days around healthy eating and exercise that has saturated the mainstream is flat out wrong. If you want to find the solution to optimizing your energy and body composition without restrictive dieting, soul crushing workouts, or adding more to your already stressful and overflowing schedule so that you can finally function like the man you know you can be, then we need to chat. Are you ready to move from exhausted to energized? By working smarter, not harder, go ahead and schedule your free strategy call at www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up. I'm looking forward to our conversation and enjoy the rest of the show. Does it frustrate you with 
the amount of information out there that you know we see people continually take in, utilize, and then maybe yo-yo diet from, um, maybe just straight out fail from, maybe do well for a little while, but it's not more often than not, typically with diet type programs, it's not realistic for them long term. And in my opinion, it's not addressing a lot of the things that you're talking about. It's not helping them develop autonomy. It's not helping them create awareness. It's not helping them develop a, a successful and strategic plan, you know, for them to implement long term. Is that something that is frustrating for you? Annoying? It used to frustrate the heck out of me um, really bad. And a lot of it was just from an ego perspective. Like, yeah. like, how do I sit on my hands and not smash my keyboard all the time? Um, really. But honestly, once, once I delineate the concept of programming versus coaching, it became much easier for me. And something that used to frustrate me, I now see as an opportunity to help people. I'm not getting mad that someone's not getting results or that information is wrong or whatever. I am happy that I'm around. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mission is not to add to that noise. And there will be programs everywhere all the time. And more or less, all these programs work if they use basic underlying physiological principles that govern, you know, weight gain and weight loss and all of that fancy stuff. Um, But the human component is required. And the human needs to use the feedback from people and use that feedback to make informed decisions to help a person out on a practical and logistical way, right? I know the science behind this stuff and I know enough of it to know that's not really going to help people, Mm -hmm. even though it may convince somebody to buy into a short-term program. So really I was supremely frustrated initially. I realized not too quickly, but quickly enough that it really was an ego thing on my part. Um, I may get sad or worried about people who consume information that may hurt them. Um, But again, trying to wave a red flag and send out smoke signals to change people's minds is probably not the best use of anybody's time. And I would rather much more focus on the people who are in a position to make changes. Um, And some of them require going through some of these programs that may not provide them results. You know, and so I'm not going to try and compete with the shiny object. Um, eventually a person gets to a point where they understand that short-term projects and programs are short-term for a reason. And I'm okay not taking that stance. Sure. It's just a different product and I do not provide that product. And since in, in my mind, putting my CFO cap on, it's no longer competition for me because it is a different population. It is a different product. It is a different everything compared to what I provide. And, and if I thought of those people as competition to me, you know, I'm, I'm not better or worse, but I am different. So to me, it's a completely different galaxy, solar system, whatever you want to call it. And that has helped me kind of deal with a lot of misinformation or misguided, but well-meaning information. Um, and I just choose to not try and add to that noise, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. What's the, what's the average length of time that you work with your clients? very long yeah honestly very long um really i would say an average time with me is is 18 months and longer okay 
and I find that really 18 months is kind of a magic number to where like you can go on your own and never have to have any issues ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where your calories and your, like your calorie to body weight ratio is as high as this is going to be. My goal is to get you to eat as much as humanly possible while maintaining as low a body fat and high muscle mass as reasonably possible. And that's really a philosophy. I think that will translate to athletes and general population. Um, really my goal is to get you into a position where you're eating comfortably and looking comfortably and you have the tools you need to navigate any situation and not only the tools, but having gone through all of these situations multiple times to know how to attack them. Um, this is why I think like 18 months to two years is a great time because you've gone through all the holidays multiple times. You've gone yeah. through gazillion birthdays. You've gone through lots of barbecues. So for me, being involved with a person that long is important because I have worked with you personally on your exposure to all of these environments that turn people's lives upside down. You know, multiple vacations, firings, weddings, uh, deaths, right? All these things that just cause people to lose their minds where sleep, exercise, and diet are the first things that go out the window. I need to be with you during all of those periods of your life so that I can help you navigate it the next time it happens. And so you don't snowball back down into a position that's really going to end up hurting you later. I get the feeling that you have a great amount of empathy for people going through these struggles because possibly it's something that you've gone through yourself, as many of us have. We all got demons, man. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I've I've been through a lot of stuff myself. Um, In the context of life events that have made it difficult for me to like follow an exercise plan. I mean, that, that could just be like, Oh, it's Wednesday and I'm tired. Yeah. Um, but I think just really from a practical point of view, like I, I went through school pretty fast. So like mostly just a lot of first world problems in that regard. But like, you know, I lost all my hair when I was like 17 and it, it was really just because like, okay, I, I got my degree in biochemistry when I was 17. You know, and I don't really think there's a coincidence there. You know, like I finished my doctorate when I was like 22 or 23. I spent quite a bit of time overseas after that. Um, And for me, it wasn't necessarily what I experienced personally as much as all of the things that I had seen secondhand. Mm -hmm. So you go to different parts of the world, you go to different parts of the country, and you interact with people with different backgrounds. And to me, it is just the sheer volume of people I've communicated with during times of stress that really pointed to me like, all right, this needs, this needs to have, this is important, I guess. Because your limiting factor, like we had discussed earlier on in our conversation, it's going to be changing all the time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's a, everything's a moving goalpost. And that's really why having another set of eyes is so important because a lot of people will establish a goal. The goalpost is here. I'm going to keep trucking. And then it seems like that you never get there because the goalpost is moving. And part of my job is to help show like how and where the goalpost has moved and why. And when you've gone through every, every crappy and every great situation, you're able to have a plan to navigate it because you have to go through these things more than once because everybody has a, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. And going through it once is, is good enough to make a plan going through it twice is to say, all right, I tried to implement a plan and it didn't work. And by the time you go through something a third time, you're like, okay, I got this. Yeah. (laughs) Basically. And 
that's, that's kind of how I feel in terms of life stressors, because I'm also a huge proponent of stress impacting behavior and decisions and physiology. And that good stress, I think people don't incorporate as, as much as they should. To me, stress is stress, whether it's good or bad. And it has, it has an impact on the way we operate. And not everything is just about crappy stuff that happens. You can have amazing things that happen too. And it, it wreaks just as much havoc on people's behavior. Yep. So it's, to me, it's important to really be involved in people's lives when these things happen and they do and they do frequently so that they're in a position to navigate them eventually without me or anybody else. Yeah. I'm so glad you're sharing all this and, and we're talking about this topic because, you know, because you're absolutely right is, is we have, we, we have so much stuff going on. We have so many perceived stressors, good or bad or otherwise. And just being on a plan, just being on a 30 day challenge or a 60 day challenge, or just doing one diet while it may work in the short term, what happens when, when shit inevitably comes up, then what are you going to do? And then it's like, Oh, well, I'm going to just, I won't be able to be on it tomorrow. I'm traveling the next five days. So we'll just regroup when we get back or then it, you know, and then it's a week, then it's a month. And, and so being able to identify with these limiting factors, improve the behaviors that you're utilizing around them is is absolutely paramount for someone to be successful long-term. So I appreciate you sharing all this. I, I think it's interesting because I kind of joked about it once and I went, oh my goodness, this is actually what's going on. It's that nobody has a weight loss problem. There is no weight loss problem. People lose weight, no problem. There's a yeah. weight maintenance problem. Yeah. There's a weight maintenance problem. So what I develop is a weight maintenance program. Yeah. It just so happens that if your goal is to lose body fat, that in order to give you what you need to maintain your weight, you end up losing that body fat along the way. It's kind of really how I try to communicate it, I think. All right, so just another couple questions and I'm gonna let you go on with your day. Let let me ask you, how much do you feel like our food sources matter with respect to weight loss, fat loss, muscle gain? I suppose those are three pretty significant areas, but... Practically speaking, I think they make a massive difference. I think on paper, they make less of a difference than people think, but the world does not operate on paper. There is culture. There is social implications. There are preferences in flavor and texture. There are nutrient things to consider. There, every single thing, when you make a decision based off of the food you eat, will determine the type of food you consume. So in my mind, if you are eating foods that you do not see yourself eating in the long term, then maybe you shouldn't be eating them. And in that regard, the food choices are probably some of the most important things that you can take into account. That being said, I have this joke that if you don't like chicken, it's probably not the chicken's fault. So the joke really to, to basically continue on with that is like, do you have the skills necessary to go out and go to the store? Do you know how to shop appropriately for the types of foods you do like? Do you even know the types of foods that you like? And with the types of foods you like, do you know how to prepare them properly? So really a lot of it is, do you know how to shop? Do you know how to cook? Do you know how to store food, right? Because there's a lot of these logistical concerns that nobody ever takes into account. Like maybe there's a reason why your chicken tastes great right when you cook it, but not two days later. So like this is just the chemist coming out in me Um, or the biochemist coming out of me because these are things that I really do like to take into into consideration because the types of foods that you buy 
how you prepare them, how you consume them, and how you store them create this big matrix of shit that like yeah. hopefully you it becomes intuitive to you over time. Um, but really, that's what's important in terms of you need to figure out what foods you like, not only that, but how they are prepared. And if you need to keep a balanced diet and you happen to be one of those people that sees something healthy and wants to vomit, well, then it's just a matter of figuring out a way to prepare it in a way that's palatable for you. Um, so that, that's just kind of like the, the joke of adulting, I think. Um, so I, I, in terms of food choices, um, it is really basically the number one priority is how hungry of a mofo are you? Mm -hmm. It's really priority one. Right. I would rather have everybody that I work with full. Right. Totally. And I can understand if you're hungry because that's part of losing fat. Right. But if you don't like your food, that's your own damn fault. And that's something that I'm willing to help you with. Right. And this is something that is very important in the context of having long term success in any lifestyle intervention is that if you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to do it after the gun is taken away from your yeah. head. So it, that's, that's really what I like to focus on is one, are you hungry all the time? Like hungry is okay. Are you hangry? Right. Yeah. Don't get hangry. That's not cool. And two, really like, do you know how to prepare the food that you want to prepare? And that's, that's really the two different things in terms of food choice that are, are important to me. And mm -hmm. it just so happens that, Okay, you can argue that when you're, in a, when you're in a calorie deficit, there's also a larger chance you're in a nutrient deficit as well, a micronutrient deficit in some places, times, places, things, whatever. But you're also hungrier when you're in a calorie deficit, so it also makes sense to include more voluminous foods, and more voluminous foods also tend to have a higher micronutrient profile. Yeah. Or more complete, or whatever word you want to use. So yeah. I think a lot of that stuff is self-correcting, and why I encourage people to say, okay, if you just want to hit your calories eating jelly beans, sure, you're going to, like, I will let a person be miserable. Yeah. Right? Like, that's okay. It's not going to kill you to eat jelly beans for a few days. You know, some health nuts might, you know, lose whatever hair they have left too. But that's something where I'm not going to force a person to eat in a way that they don't want to. And if they want to experiment, then I would gladly have them do it because it's still relatively controlled. Because it's not eat all the jelly beans. You still have to consume it within an energy amount. But then you quickly realize like, man, I feel like garbage. I should probably eat something that doesn't make me feel like garbage. And then really over a very quick period of time, healthy food choices tend to be incorporated on their own. And I've never really had to address it directly because the joke I make is, all right, your eyes aren't yellow. Your fingernails aren't falling out. You know, you don't have crazy sores open. Like you got all your teeth. Yep. So you've made it this far. I'm not really going to try and dictate your food choice insofar as trying to force you to eat fruits and vegetables and phytochemicals and all of this stuff. One day you're going to get hungry and decide maybe I should eat a vegetable and nine times, 10 times out of 10 healthy choices end up being incorporated into the diet on their own because really just like the initial part of this conversation where a person starts to track their intake and their weight the food choices will end up changing on their own too. Yeah. So if a person says, okay, I want to change the way I operate fundamentally. I want to be healthier and sexier and all these things. People will just start incorporating fruits and vegetables on their own again anyway. And it's never really been something that I've had to harp on in any way, shape or form. 
really. If you don't like broccoli, fine. Don't eat broccoli. I don't care. There's other things to choose than broccoli. Just because that's what meatheads eat doesn't mean that's what you have to eat. There's Brussels sprouts and cucumbers and a million different plants that you can consume. We'll find out something that you like. Not to open a can of worms or anything, but I'm interested in your scientific opinion of the importance of organic foods. That's definitely another can of worms. Can, um, can, I can tell you that the scientific opinion is going to be annoying because really in the context of scientific opinion, the jury is out. Yeah. Right. So do I think the relative expense compared to conventional foods is worth the nutrient benefits? Absolutely not. Okay. Do I think that some organic foods confer nutrient benefits compared to conventionally grown foods? Absolutely. Is that a practical difference? I do not think so. Yeah, that's great. And, and that ties right into, you know, what you were talking about in terms of the food sources. And it's like, hey, I mean, first of all, just start eating foods that you know you can, you like, that you can prepare, that you can store, that you can be consistent with if you can afford the organic and you feel better eating it. Maybe then, okay, cool. But understand maybe it's not necessarily more nutrient dense or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. And that's part of like a sequential thinking thing. We're like, this prop, like, what problem are you trying to solve, right? Are you trying to, are you trying to address a nutrient deficiency, or yeah. are you trying to look better in a bikini? Yeah, and and understanding, like, don't think that just switching to organic all of a sudden is going to lose the weight right. for you. You're still consuming calories. You're likely still consuming yeah. just as many calories. And if it's organic cookies yep. versus. Yep. I will never <laughs> shun it. If you like the taste or you have political views, I'm not going to argue with you in any way, shape or form. I think certain organic foods taste way better. Um, does that mean I think they are better for me? Not necessarily. Do they have yeah. different preparation methods? Sure. But to me that goes along the line of, okay, this is cooked differently. Yeah. Right. And I like the taste better in comparison is that worth the cost difference maybe maybe not but really like i said if your eyes are not yellow and your teeth aren't falling out you're probably doing okay i like it where can people find out more about you uh my facebook profile is actually completely public uh you will notice very fast that i make uh, absolutely zero facebook posts but some other people include me in their business which is cool too you can also reach me at trevorcashy.com you can go to. But basically, okay. if you Google me, there's no other way to contact me. And I kind of do that on purpose. Um, so basically, like if you want to get a hold of me directly, I, I answer every single Facebook message I get. Okay. Like I'm going to force one-on-one contact whether you like it or not. We'll have the uh, link to Trevor directly in the show notes. So you guys <laughs> can reach out one-on-one and, and bug him with your organic, non-organic questions. Um, Trevor, it's been an absolute pleasure. I have one more question. Actually, I have two more questions for you. One is what are uh, one or two people or resources that you've been following and learning from in the past year related to nutrition that you think would be valuable for people to maybe check out? I won't lie. I'm an absolute terrible person to ask. I actually have a concerted effort to not consume any material generated for the general population at all. I literally get everything I get from academic sources, uh, which probably is not the best direction to go. Um, That being said, publicly available material in terms of things like behavior, I think Precision Nutrition sends out great information on a blog that they have. 
Cool, man. No, that's good. Yeah. Precision Nutrition is a great resource. I interviewed Chris yeah. Scott Dixon recently. Yeah. And um, she she had a great interview. And, and yeah, um, I know her so. pretty well. I'm I'm talking to her like later in the week. Cool. Uh, so she's, she's awesome. She's great. Some things that a lot of people take for granted is that like the the information the government puts out is not bad. People just like to take a crap on it because they say it doesn't work, but nobody actually follows it. So, I mean, I reviewed all of the research that the government did for the stuff for my plate and the new programs that they're initiating. Um, like if you read the booklet for, I actually forget what it's called. The, basically the book that covers the USD, USDA recommendations, like that's a wonderful resource. It's like, yeah. but nobody would ever recommend anything the government does because the government's evil. But honestly, this is something that like gives you reasonable approaches to foods that you should consume um, at different times, food sources, things of that nature. In terms of like actual nitty gritty nutrients, yeah, following what the government recommends is not a bad idea. The information is out there and it's extremely palatable. So actually, I do follow what the government is saying. Um, but that's a good resource, honestly, in terms of nutrition and food. And um, the other, in terms of behavior, following precision nutrition is probably a good place to go. Okay. Last question is, you could only eat one meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the rest of your life. What would that one meal be? You're really like angering the biologist in me because I, I do everything on a continuum, man. Like, what's the mood? What what could I eat on a daily basis? So, okay, it would probably have to be carne asada burritos. Mm. Yeah, and it's kind of like along the lines of something like pepperoni pizza, mostly because you can have a thousand carne asada burritos from a thousand different Mexican places, and it's a thousand it's a thousand different versions of the same thing. So I love the <laughs> nice. concept of like like one type of food, right? Because you can get a pepperoni, slice of pepperoni pizza at a thousand different places and each time it's different, yeah. but it's still pepperoni pizza. Right. So I, I, really, like, I really like that. So like, I, that's how I feel about carne asada burritos. And even if it was from the same place, I don't really care. But really that's one of those foods where a thousand different people can prepare it and it's different every single time. And that's one of the things that I do like about it is that everybody can put their, their own oomph into it, kind of like pizza. Uh, listen, brother, I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate your time and the approach that you take to nutrition and health and wellness for your clients. I'm sure they appreciate it as well. Um, if any of you guys want to reach out to Dr. Trevor Cashy, uh, the, the link will be in the show notes. Um, and please do that uh, if you feel like his services would be valuable to you. Uh, again, thanks, brother. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for letting me rant on. Uh, all good. Appreciate it. Learned a lot. Have a wonderful day and uh, we'll connect again soon. Absolutely. All right, take care. Did you love this episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show? Then head on over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a positive rating and review. And more importantly, share this with other men that you know are dedicated to leveling up in every area of their life by learning how to live healthier, more energetic, and productive lives so that they can optimize their health for their family and future. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about how you can work directly with Ben, then just head on over to www.bslnutrition.com forward slash level up.